0: This is Caitlin Clarkson, and you're listening to Patch Turned Up, coming from the Patch Studio in Spencer, West Virginia. This is episode four of the Patch Podcast. Today's podcast is Food and Farm with Sierra. Today, we are talking about bees. Her guest today, Eric Grandin from Sugar Bottom Farm. Hey, thanks, Caitlin. Hello Eric, thanks for coming to the show.
1: Thank you for having me. Definitely.
0: <laughs> so, I guess um, just kind of to start off, could you just tell me a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got into bees? Sure.
1: Uh, I'm retired Army, uh, was a therapist for a little while, and uh, I had a little accident at the hospital, and uh, I started farming. Uh, full-time started vegetable farming I had two hives and from two I went to 115 and uh, decided to start uh, start a business a honeybee business so now we're a full service honeybee business Uh, we're getting ready to open our second store here in Charleston Uh, my farms in Clay County and uh, like i say we're full service uh, we sell bees queens uh, equipment we do free training uh, both in lecture series and uh, hands-on at the farm uh, our store is getting ready to open in charleston it uh it's under the name of Ridgehaven beekeeping supplies it's on Greenbrier street so uh, uh we're opening up the 29th of february and uh we just got a lot of things going on we've started new markets this year uh it's just busy
0: <laughs> you're a busy bee busy bee <laughs> no that's awesome um so I guess what kind of made you turn to bees in particular um
1: I, well, it started out as a therapy uh you know, believe it or not, a lot of people turn to honeybees for therapy uh, basically when you're within the hive uh it's so calming. And uh, all the noise from the outside just goes away. So uh, I started it out that way. And uh, so now I'm in therapy 12 hours a day, <laughs> seven days a week uh, with my honeybees.
0: Oh my gosh, no, I think that's, <laughs> no, that's awesome. I think a lot of people have this, you know, thought, like, oh my gosh, honeybees, you know, I don't want to get stung. Right. Like, you know, they get, they're they nervous about it. Right. Um, kind of, walk. you know, how how do you kind of approach people that are that are nervous and kind of apprehensive about getting into bees well
1: first of all i ask them to come to the farm and get into the bees with me okay and uh what i do is we start i'll start working a hive and i'll just have them stand to the side and as they're comfortable they'll step up closer and closer and within 30 minutes or so they'll be handling the frames uh, with the bees on it and before too long they're working the hives themselves um I think by seeing me and what it does for for me, uh, like I say, it makes me calm. Uh, mm-hmm. They kind of get the same outtake from it, and then they're just amazed. Uh, it's the, the most fascinating thing you can ever do. I think.
0: Oh my! I agree with you completely. I <laughs> so I've I've been out to your farm, and I've been through hives and your and your, a lot of your classes, and and worked with you a lot. Um, and I think you know, just being able to kind of look at the different stages of bee life when you're, you know, every frame is just magical to me. I think, um, watching bees, you know, be born and even coming out is just really, really cool. Um, and you know, I think there's a lot of (laughs) buzz about around bees right now, just, you know, with with kind of the issues, you know, the one in three bites you take, you know, is thanks to bees and you know, they're, kind of dying off at an alarming rate what are um what are some things that you are doing to kind of help you know keep bees on the map I guess here in West Virginia
1: well I'm encouraging people uh, mm-hmm. not only beekeeping but plant and flower
0: right.
1: uh, we have a uh, pollinator habitat friendly farm mm-hmm. uh, we use no pesticides no herbicides uh, we're also a small commercial vegetable farm mm-hmm. so you can farm without chemicals um we use beneficial insects for pest control, and I use fermented sugar water for weed control. Uh, and there's there's a lot of different other means out there. You don't have to use the poisons uh, that are slowly killing this earth. I mean, uh, if we don't start doing something now in 50 years, we won't have ground to, to plant in. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's breaking down fast, and we're not regenerating the earth. We're just actually taking from it continuously. And if we don't change that mindset, then we're gonna be in trouble. Uh, Like Sierra said, one third of every bite you take is pollinated by the honeybee. That's Mm -hmm. 118 different fruits, nuts, and vegetables that we we eat every day. And uh, just recently, the bumblebee has been put on the endangered species list, Mm -hmm. and uh, they pollinate tomatoes. So, you know, I've had bumblebee hives in our high tunnel uh, for pollination and uh they work work very well, but now they're in trouble and you know the sad thing is once something hits the uh endangered species list, you don't see them come off right. and uh if that happens to the honeybee, if it would happen to go away, you can expect about four years left on this earth
0: i know you, it's yeah it's it's scary yeah
1: um, they i mean it's so closely tied to our food system. Right. Uh, you know, I tell people I just wish, you know, cheeseburgers were pollinated <laughs> and that way more people would get on board, mm-hmm. you know, but, uh, you know, not only here, but in DC, I'm encouraging urban beekeeping. It's a $5 billion a year industry. And, uh, so we're also selling bees and equipment in Washington, DC. Um, we'll also be teaching classes up there. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So. We're doing a lot, but, you know, if anything, like I said, just plant a flower.
0: (laughs) I think that's, I mean, I think you can even, there's a bunch of different sites, um, and I think Cheerios even, if you like, they'll give you like free wildflowers. They'll send you, so there's really a lot of different programs out there. Oh okay. I'll do all right. Gotcha. Okay. Maybe don't do Cheerios, but uh, there's plenty of non-GMO and organically sourced seeds out there that you can plant, Uh, and and native too, because we don't want to you know do any invasives that are going to just cause other problems.
1: Well, they're you know one of the best uh, honey sources in the early spring. is an invasive. Autumn olive. Oh
0: yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Farmers hate them. Uh, Honeybees right. love them, mm-hmm. and it's their f- first food source in the early spring. So.
0: It's like dandelions and things like that. Where people, I'm just like, oh, just don't kill them. Right. Yeah. Um. Okay. Um. So, kind of getting back to so say somebody you know they planted the flower they you know they're doing that good stuff but they're wanting to do more they're thinking hey you know maybe i could do a couple hives in the backyard right what do you think their first step should be
1: well first they need to check if they're in town they need to check their city ordinance to see what's allowed Uh, we also have state laws that require that you only keep so many Beehives on a certain amount of property. Uh, those can be found through the West Virginia Department of Agriculture's uh, Apiary Program. Okay. Uh, you can call there for questions or you can reach out to us at the Sugar Bottom Farm or Ridgehaven Beekeeping Supply. We'll be happy to help you guide you through step by step.
0: Awesome. Yeah, because I know there's Um, you know, there is a big push. You kind of already, we kind of touched on that about DC and and urban farming and urban agriculture and, and really West Virginia, because of our terrain, you know, we're, we're farming kind of on a micro scale. So it is kind, you know, if you look at a lot of the urban models, they work here in West Virginia. So I think that, um,
1: yeah, I'm actually teaching a class at the small farms conference and how to make money on two feet of ground.
0: Very cool. That's, no, that's. I think that's really... Because I think a lot of people have this misconception that, oh, I have to have right, several acres. hundred acres to make any money with with, a, with vegetables. That's, that's and, not true at all with yeah. honeybees. Yeah, some with honeybees too, definitely. Yeah. Um, very cool. Um, let's see. Oh, does Caitlin have something? What is the process of pollination?
1: Oh, okay. The process of pollination. Well, what happens... Uh, bees they they start in the spring preparing for the winter and to say that is the the honeybee's colony their their only goal is survival so they start foraging as soon as it's warm enough and once the flowers and uh trees start blooming what they do is they go they visit about 60 to 80 different flowers uh, during their during their flight collecting pollen and or nectar and uh, in doing so they spread pollen from one to the other and that's where your cross pollination comes in and uh, they end up bringing the uh, pollen that they collect back to the colony and that's used for baby food. So,
0: <laughs> Got to feed them baby bees yeah, right. It's, Gotta <laughs> it's, it's a
1: win-win uh, mm-hmm. for us and for the honeybee. Uh, but uh, yeah if you have a garden and it is said that uh, you know it can increase your harvest by 40% having honeybees on property oh, so you know that's just through their pollination mm-hmm. uh, habits like I say they they visit so many flowers on one one trip and then they continuously fly in and out in and out throughout the daylight hours and uh, so they're a busy bee you know they only live anywhere from you know four six eight weeks in the spring and summer and that's because they literally work themselves to death Uh, they work 24 7 in the hive it never sleeps it never stops there's always something to do and the most amazing thing about is they all do a job specific to their age in hours and days they all have specific jobs not one of them tries to get out of work. Not one of them argues about the work they're doing because they know they're going to get promoted to the next job.
0: <laughs> That's so cool. Eric, can you tell me about the, what type of training you prefer, beginner or experience?
1: Uh, it doesn't matter. Believe it or not, the experience can learn something just as well as a beginner. Mm. Uh, there's always new things coming out. Um, we teach the basic scientific beekeeping where you observe the colony and the colony tells you exactly what you need to know and how to help it and uh, I like to be a proactive beekeeper not allowing the hive to control my actions but I control the the colony's actions Uh, like through swarming you know every bee colony is born to swarm that's their only natural means of reproduction so uh, they come up in life wanting to reproduce you know the world with honeybees. To them, they're the only ones left. So uh, they work toward that swarm. But if you're a proactive beekeeper, you instead of losing a swarm, possibly losing the queen and 60% of your workforce, you can actually just do an artificial swarm, where you trick the colony into believing it swarmed by uh, making an increase in your in your bee yard. You mm-hmm. you get another hive out of it. So that's a way you can get free bees without having to climb a tree.
0: <laughs> definitely, the better, definitely the better way to go. <laughs> yes it is. <laughs> so I know one thing that I learned when I first started out beekeeping, because I was like, they're bees, they go out, they feed themselves, we, they're, they're <laughs> low maintenance, you don't have to do anything. I quickly found out that wasn't the case. Um, what are some, I guess, what do you, what do you feed your bees? Uh, so
1: we start off in the spring, uh, feeding a uh, one-to-one sugar syrup. That closely, uh, copies, uh, nectar. It's about 50% water, uh, when they first bring it into the hive. And, uh, <coughs> also feed a, uh, pollen substitute. Here in West Virginia, we go through periods where we have a honey flow. Uh, and that lasts sometimes up until June. And then after that, we go into a period of about two and a half months when there's absolutely no food out there for the honeybee. And that's our July, August timeframe when there's not a lot blooming. Mm -hmm. And uh, also at that time, there's not a lot of pollen out there. So in order for the queen to continue to lay eggs, uh, which she can lay up to 2000 a day, and just through normal attrition, you're gonna lose anywhere from four to 800 a day if she's not laying at that maximum capacity, your bee colony is not gonna grow. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It's actually just maybe sustain or actually lose population. And what you try to do uh, in helping your bees along Mm -hmm. is you provide that artificial supplements. And, uh, you know, people are afraid that you're gonna make your bees lazy. That's absolutely (laughs) false. There's no such thing. Um, Actually, they'll always take a natural over a synthetic food. Uh, So this is, again, is to supplement when they don't have food out there. And without it, the queen shuts down and you lose that six to 800 a day, four to 800 a day, and you don't, she doesn't lay enough eggs to sustain the numbers. Mm -hmm. And then you're gonna go into the winter with a very small population, which could be detrimental.
0: I think think definitely, um, some of the misconceptions like the flowers are blooming there's plenty of food for them out there but you know a heavy rain or wind or anything exactly. like that it's, so i definitely feed a lot more than i thought i would right. that's for sure
1: yeah i have uh i have honey yards and production yards
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, my production yards i feed even during the honey flow because on those rainy days where they can't get out and fly and and even if there's nectar or pollen out mm-hmm. there like um, Sierra said, it could get washed away. Uh, sometimes up to three days from one rain, mm-hmm. you know. So you, they have to have that supplemental feeding, uh, just in, you know, to increase their numbers to make give them a good chance to survive through the winter.
0: Right. And I think, um, I think, too, another, I guess, misconception or something. You know, everyone thinks, you know, bears are the number one killer of bees right you know no. they think that. <laughs> I know right yeah I know you <laughs> yeah but um what what is what do you find to be kind of
1: well it's uh it's the varroa mite uh its scientific name is varroa destructor and it came about here in the United States in the late 80s early 90s and it basically wiped out half of the population of honeybees in just a matter of a few years we are still not back to the numbers that we once were mm-hmm. Now, there's larger larger farms, but they're monocrops, which aren't mm-hmm. as healthy for the honeybees. Um, they require a wide variety of food, just like we do. Um, they get their protein through pollen. They get their carbohydrates through nectar and or, and, or sugar water, uh, depending on time of the year. But they're just like us. They require us, you know, different foods. You can't live on just one thing and, you know, and be healthy. Mm -hmm. And they're learning the same thing with the honeybees. Um, After the Varroa mite, uh, if you could imagine your body as a honeybee, (laughs)
0: that,
1: that mite would be as large as a soccer ball on you.
0: That's That's pretty big, right?
1: That's how big it is compared to the honeybee. Mm -hmm. And uh, it takes in its hemophil, uh, the blood. They spread disease and viruses and everything like that. And it can wipe out your entire colony. Uh, The second largest killer is the environment, Mm -hmm. which is sad to say. We are killing off the species ourselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's through uh, herbicides, pesticides, insecticides. They're poison, you know. Used to be, it had to be a wet kill. The uh, the honeybee had to ingest a a liquid to to be affected. Now they have things out there that's uh, it's called a dry kill. It actually goes to the roots, comes back out through the pollen and the nectar. So they're literally taking poison back to their babies. That's crazy.
0: Is that the neonicotides? Neonicotinoids. Neonicotinoids. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's (laughs) very. I knew you'd have the fancy word. (laughs)
1: It's uh, very addicted to the honeybee. And what they do, they find that food source that, that's, you know, tainted with these neonicotinoids. Neo-nic- and uh, they go back to the colony and say, hey, I found a great food source. Yeah. So all the foragers start going there and they're bringing back poisons mm-hmm. uh, just back and forth. And, you know, a couple of weeks later, you start seeing bees act funny on the front of your landing board. Oh, they act like they're yeah. drunk. And there's a lot of dead bees in front of your colony, which is a very bad sign.
0: Mm.
1: And, uh, you know, pretty soon the hive is gone through poisoning.
0: That's crazy.
1: Yeah. And it happens all the time. It happens to to me. You know, we're lucky. uh, A couple years ago, I I went to the... uh, the gas company and AEP, and just asked them not to spray around my property. Mm-hmm. Well, this year they came and asked if they could, and I told them no, of course. Right. And I also went to my neighbors and asked them to say no. Right. So I have a little uh, buffer area around my property now, uh, which you know gives my bees a better chance. <laughs> and uh, so that's what we're doing. It's okay. it, you know. You wanna educate your neighbors, first of all, if you have bees. Yeah. Everybody's kinda of afraid of bees. But what they're afraid of is those yellow jackets, hornets and wasps. Mm-hmm. We don't keep those. <laughs> yeah, we uh try to keep them away. Uh but educate your, your you know, your neighbors say, Look, you know, it's gonna help your gardening, it's gonna help things bloom and maybe I can bring some honey next year. Just you know to kind of kind of get on their good side because you know they are afraid of them, yeah. but they're not they're not scary. It's you just gotta have a, a confidence in yourself. You know know what you're doing, mm-hmm. and that's why I encourage people to come to the farm to get into the bees even before they begin, and that way they'll know for sure before they make an investment in buying the equipment and bees. Right. So. And that's how Messier got started.
0: That's right. <laughs> you you wrote me in. Um, so if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, Eric, how would? What's the best way to kind of do
1: that? Uh, email actually. Uh, email. Egranden at frontier Okay. Uh, reach out on my Facebook page, at Sugar Bottom Farm. Reach awesome. out on our Facebook page, Riverview Ridge River, Haven. <laughs> <laughs> Ridge Haven Beekeeping Supplies. We'll answer your questions. Awesome. We, we won't leave you hanging.
0: And your grand opening again? Just the
1: 29th so we, of February.
0: 29th of February in Charleston. And then also, if people wanted to see you, you, I think, mentioned you're going to be at the Small Farms Conference. I'll, when is be, that?
1: Yes, I'll be set up as a vendor at the Small Farms Conference, and I'll also be teaching.
0: Awesome. Very cool. How can people contact you for more information, Sierra? For me, um, you can find me on Facebook or um, the West Virginia Food and Farm. Uh, we also have a website, and you can find my email there as well. This is Caitlin Clarkson with Patch Turned Up Radio. Today we have Sierra Cox with Food and Farm Coalition with her guest Eric Grannon from Sugar Bottom Farms. Thank you to Sierra and Eric for the information. And stay tuned in for more shows and information from our Patch program and Patch students.